Hello, friends. Hello, brothers. This is Justin with Masonic Improvement. Today, I'm joined by my junior co-host, Dennis Yates. You know, one of these days, I'm going to reach through this computer. If I'm so junior, <laughs> why do I have the, the ultimate of, of perfect <laughs> logos on my behind me oh you're compensating yeah, compensating for something he <laughs> no. was quick with well that that's too. a that's a whole nother story i, I think <laughs> your cable tool may not be very long <laughs> that's it in the end though <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh man okay brothers okay brothers friends and brothers i'm dennis yates and i'm happy to be here even though i do have to put up with uh justin cutting oh, up and, and picking on me yeah, I'll just play the victim here and, and feel sad and depressed and get in my whole little hole here. But first, before I do that, before I hide away and just watch the videos, um, I am so excited to, to introduce our, uh, well, he's becoming a regular. I, I'm kind of worried that he's going to take my place. I think Justin's no. thinking about that. I got my hands my full. <laughs> right, gig. right. You got yeah. your own gig going. But no, this is, uh, it is our great pleasure. To, to have with us Rip Moore once again. And this time he's actually coming on to show and share the program that he traveled all across the straight up the state. There's your editing, Justin. Now you can <laughs> edit out the whole I like it. Leave the whole raw, man. This is going to be raw. Exactly. You now you can edit out the first part, too. <laughs> so. With us tonight, we have Rip Moore. He's traveled all over the state, you know, 13,000 clocked miles on his bar, showing, showing this program to all the brothers in the state, and now he's bringing it to you through our program. We are so grateful that he chose this platform to, to share this. And uh, Rip, thank you for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. This is uh, it, it, from the very beginning, this uh, originating from Hillsborough Lodge 196. I mean, I felt obligated that it be shared on Justin's show, being a, a Hillsborough brother. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've talked about this. I think when we went to San Antonio and visited Anchor Lodge to share it there last year mm -hmm. is when I was like, yeah, I think we'll do when we release it on video, we'll do it on your show. Um, so I finally got the video put together uh, with good audio. Uh, and some slideshows. Now, that what we'll talk about tonight, I will actually, you know, do a presentation of the letter itself. Um, but the presentation I give at Lodge is different. You know, I'm going to touch on some of the things I talk about in there, but it is a little bit different. Uh, and it is powerful seeing it firsthand. So I'm still going. Uh, Sugarland, I'll be in Sugarland next month. And I'm working on San Antonio, visiting down there. I'm talking with William Batters, uh, right, Worshipful Batters. Uh, to go present down there. So it's still clocking miles for sure. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Well, uh, I, uh, I'm very excited about this because I, like you said, we went to San Antonio together. You came to Hillsboro and presented and I heard you in two or three other places. I, I feels like I followed <laughs> you around quite a bit. Yeah. And every time it just gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. So and, powerful. And I know the more you presented it, like it was always great, but the more you yeah. presented it, the more research kind of fell in your lap and, and, and it, it, you got added things to it. I mean, mm -hmm. it just got better and better and better. Yeah. And by the time you brought it to Hillsboro, it, it, it was very polished. And I mean, I got he, uh, 
like goosebumps. Just I feel like the spirit of of, of Culberson was was there that night. Dude, I'm with you. Him, him and him and Ira Ogden both. Uh, and that was such a magical night at Hillsborough too, because I I went home with y'all, senior deacon, and man, his name slips my mind. He's a war vet. Uh, he's got Mohica. a really unique name. Yes, Mohica. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he showed me his great uncle's uh, stuff from World War II. I mean, the doors that were open and the things that were shared from that letter, you know, from veterans and things like that. Uh, it's just such a magical, magical uh, year last year going around, you know, sharing the letter. It was a, I helped you with some, well, I didn't help you, but you came to the lodge and we, we looked through some of the things together. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And still, I haven't even really went through that in depth because Culberson, that's the missing piece to this whole presentation mm-hmm. is Culberson's bio. Because I have Ira's uh, who was killed in action. Yeah. Uh, so this was a young man that was killed in action. So his, unfortunately, life is cut short. So you have an end there. Well, uh, other Culberson lives on and uh, does quite a you know few cool things that uh, I plan on putting in the presentation at some point, you know, because that guy was a phenomenal man as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's get right to it. Cause I know that there are brothers all over the state that have heard about the letter. I think every Mason mm-hmm. in Texas has heard of the letter. They probably have not all heard the letter. And so this is a great opportunity for them to, to catch the, a version of the presentation. So yep. let's just jump right into it. Let's do it. Uh, and before I play the video, just to kind of give you some context, uh, if, if you haven't heard, this has been dubbed the letter. And it was a brother, Leon Culberson, who was a past master and former DDGM of Hillsboro 196, wrote it on the battlefield and during World War One after one of wow. the worst battles, uh, uh, Battle of Blancmont, right near the end, too. Dang thing is, it's just a few weeks later and the war ends. Mm. Uh but he wrote this letter after performing Masonic burial services and you'll see on the battlefield Masonic burial service, and you'll see how powerful it is and how much the craft meant to him. Uh, but, you know, he wrote that back to his brothers to, you know, I don't think he was looking for permission or forgiveness as much as he was uh, sharing his angst and feelings to kind of get that off his chest. So, yeah, I think that was his closure. Yeah, it was a form of closure. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's, let's play this. Uh, I put together a little video of the letter. Uh, I'm reading it. Uh, these are straight Leon Culberson words that uh, I've read, and I've got a picture of him and Ira Ogden, uh, and then we'll chat about it afterwards. This is a letter, or the letter, as it has come to be known, written by Brother Leon Culberson of Hillsborough Lodge number 196. Concerning Brother Ira Ogden, a captain from Anchor Lodge 424, and other unknown Masons who received their Masonic death rites on the battlefield where they fell during World War I. To the worshipful master, wardens, and brethren, Hillsborough Lodge, number 196, AF and AM. It has been a very long time since I sat in Lodge with you and participated in the ceremonies we love so well. As this season of the year comes around, when many of us enjoyed the pleasures of Grand Lodge, I feel like writing to the Lodge of my membership, the only Lodge I have ever been a member of, and expressing to the brethren my sincere wishes for a happy and prosperous new year and a continuation of good fellowship and brotherly love. 
Since entering the Army in 1916, I have had no opportunity of maintaining close relationship with the craft and have opened only one lodge since that time. Some of my brethren may be interested in knowing that it was a battlefield lodge open under the dispensation of supreme emergency and for the purpose of paying the last tribute of respect to the faithful who had given their lives in the cause of freedom and whose Masonic zeal and fidelity sustained them in the call for supreme sacrifices in the cause of justice. After the assault and capture of Mount Blanc and the attack on Saint-Denis, in obedience to a promise I had made some of the brethren that I would bury them with Masonic ceremonies if they died and I should live, I assembled a few in a pine thicket and opened a Master Mason's Lodge for the purpose of work. We had no aprons or working tools and only a little Bible that had been carried through the fight next to the heart of a Master Mason was available to represent the great lights. But never did the massive fixtures or costliest bound volume of the wealthiest lodge mean more than that little book meant on the shell-torn hillside among those whose friends and brethren lay cold and still mingled with the German dead. Silence. We assembled around the grave of a captain who belonged to Anchor Lodge, and there I conducted the service for all the Masonic dead who laid scattered upon the field of death. Just to my right was the body of a brother of my Masonic district on whom I had conferred the degrees, and there were many others whom I knew. Some day, when the roll of those who died on the field of honor is published, the names of those faithful craftsmen will be known to you. With the honor of the ancient craft, we buried them there, and as the darkness fell upon the desolate and war-torn hills of Saint-Denis, we consigned their bodies to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Looking forward to the general resurrection as the last day, and the life of the world to come when the earth and sea shall give up the dead. My brethren, I have been with many of you in the hours of sorrow as you have been with me in mine, as we have been in the shadows of the dark angel in our homes. But I say to you that the tongue or pen of man will never picture the depressing awfulness of human destruction on a modern battlefield nor express the heartaches that follow. The visit over the wire and field where lie the bodies of the boys we love, and we love them all, for they have given theirs that others might live, and the little children of generations yet to come might be free and good and happy. As a past master of Hillsborough Lodge, number 196, I opened this battlefield lodge, stating by such authority I did this thing, and proclaiming it to the brethren as a representative lodge functioning for Hillsborough Lodge, number 196. The only Masonic authority I have a right to use, and which I am sure my brethren will not condemn, considering the conditions under which we were, and the promise made to those who had fallen on that day. 
I have heard of some Masonic burials in the rear areas, but we do not know of the Masonic dead of any other state who were given the service of the craft on the field where they fell. I will not attempt to describe any of the things I have seen, for you read it in the papers, all that censors will allow. But on the naked stump of a shell-broken pine tree on the battlefield where the glory of Texas was made still more illustrious, there is nailed an aluminum can cover on which is cut with point of a trench knife the eternal emblem of the ancient craft. Over the desolate field it looks to the east, and as the first rays of the rising sun illuminating its rough carved outlines, it would proclaim, so long as the elements will permit it to be stated, that craftsmen stood there true to their God, their country, their neighbors, and themselves, even unto death. Their memory will be imperishable in the hearts of all men and masons, for they have exemplified the highest tenets of fraternal love. For greater love hath no man than this, that men lay down his life for his friends. To the lodge that has meant so much to me in my failures and my successes, I send fraternal love and sincere good wishes. Fraternally, Leon Culberson, past master, Hillsborough Lodge, number 196, AF and AM. Uh, I never get tired of hearing it. Dude, <clears throat> I some, you know, I've, <laughs> I've given it 50 plus times. I've read it more than 200 easily, uh, but I've never stopped and listened to it like that. Mm -hmm. Whoa, that's, <laughs> that's very powerful. Um, yeah. And, you know, every time that I read it, there is one part that gets me more than others. And it's that part about the little children of generations yet to come. Mm -hmm. Because there's not a person on earth right now. At the time that he wrote that letter, it was 1918. So there's not a person on earth right now that he's not referring to. Of the little children yet to come might be free and good and happy. And it's like, God dang, he's talking about us, man. He's talking about us. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And it's. <clears throat> so so powerful out of all of that that you know what i mean uh you you just kind of catch a glimpse of the pictures there and and if you're a veteran you understand much more than uh, a civilian like myself um the 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 destruction on a modern battlefield and what they go through uh and how that was just a uh phenomenal release valve for him to be able to write back to his brothers because yeah. that's not something you write to mom you know what I mean? Mom is, I'm doing good. Everything's great. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, the food's delicious. You try to paint a rosy picture as best you can for mom. Yeah. But your brothers, you can really let loose. And <clears throat> especially after the burial rites. Yeah. Ooh. Well, World War One, as you know, was the first modern war. Yeah. Um, lots of things were implemented that had never been seen before. And unfortunately, things that haven't been seen since for the most part, like, like mustard gas and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, better. Ugh, I mean, but yeah, I, I, I believe that him running the lodge, like we said, was, was his way of finding closure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Finding some kind of peace, you know, because <clears throat> in those moments uh, you look for things that give you comfort and home mm -hmm. always gives you comfort. 
you know, how can I transport myself back home? Uh, And obviously there's not going to be mammals fried chicken or an apple pie for you to eat to transfer back home. But Mm -hmm. masonry was in his heart and in his head. He had memorized that stuff because he wasn't a certificate holder back then. There was no A, B or C, but he was a certificate holder. I've seen it in Grand Lodge proceedings where his it was approved. He had it for like four years. Um, So he, he knew his work and he obviously had memorized the burial service as well. So this guy, I mean, he's no lightweight. And that transported him back home and mm-hmm. took him out of that for a moment. You know, but I, as a civilian, I could never imagine the angst and the heartache. Because those were dudes that he trained with at Camp Bowie here in Fort Worth, had had been to lodge with. I mean, there's no telling how well he knew mm-hmm. some of the. Well, he mentions the guy to his right. And I'm assuming he's at the head of Ira Ogden. And the guy right to his right is a brother that he conferred the degrees on in his mm-hmm. Masonic district. And I've tried my hardest to try to find that guy, but uh, it's not looking hopeful because they did bury them like Ira Ogden would have been buried. He was the captain from Anchor Lodge who they uh, ha- were at the head of the grave of. Yeah. Uh, but that happened after the battle. So he's lit. There's still smoke coming up and machine guns are still hot. And, you know, essentially, you know, it's a few hours after the battle's over. So nobody's buried yet. Uh, the best I can tell from the letter, like they're looking at the lifeless bodies of their brothers. They're not buried, mm-hmm. you know, and they're performing those burial rites for that closure, you know, because yeah. proper procedure, they should be going in the dirt, uh, which they did over there. <clears throat> and that was my hope is that they had been put in the ground because those were marked and documented. And I thought, well, if I could find out who was to the right of Ira Ogden, that might be a brother and it's not turning out to be the case. So that, that brother may be lost to time. You know, I've looked, you know, I, that's was part of the reason I came down to your lodge. Uh, look, maybe he was a member of some of the lodges that had demise like Renzel and all that in the mm-hmm. Hill County, but I haven't been able to find anything showing in Masonic proceedings and um, uh, actual war veteran out of Hill County. Yeah. Well, unfortunately those towns, like you're talking about, like Renzel, Rizel, like I know we looked into it. I can't even remember how you pronounce it. Cause I didn't know there was a town, Yeah, uh, but there's no record. I mean, there's, there's nothing left of the town, let alone not mm-hmm. much left of the lodge and the records they had. Yeah. And I'm not going to give up complete hope. I, if there's a way to find that guy, I will find him. I promise you that it might be a lifelong endeavor, but I will identify it because I, that part in the letter where he says, you know, someday when the names of those craftsmen who fell, you know, the road, those names will be known to, you know, cause he couldn't obviously mention names in the letter. Um, so I feel kind of obligated to hunt that out because man, I, you said you felt the spirit when I was at, Hillsboro, I feel like this guy's been riding shotgun with me across the state of Texas. (laughs) Him him and I are Ogden in the back seat because you give this letter the first, you know, 10 times it was just a letter, which is about six or seven minutes. And that was it. And then my dad, you know, he kind of started kicking some stones around and I was like, wait, we could figure out who this Ira Ogden is, you know, who this captain from Anchor Lodge was, because we could look, you know, there's not a whole lot of captains in the army. You know, so we could look who was killed in action. That was a captain. And we started cross-referencing that with Grand Lodge proceedings. And lo and behold, there's uh, Ira Ogden 
who was a captain in the army killed in the same battle, you know, uh, at the same time frame and everything. Uh, so voila, you know, we figured out that that brother was Ira Ogden. Wow. From Anchor Lodge. Okay. So when it comes to the battle of Black Mont, um, the, uh, so this was one of the, the last battles towards the end of the war. Uh, and it was probably one that shouldn't have happened. And it's, it's been nicknamed the forgotten victory, but it should be nicknamed, uh, the learning lesson. Maybe if you want to give it a good name, because it was, it was not a victory. Um, the, the Germans were actually in the process for retreating for a few days. They, they had been held up at this Blancmont. Uh, it's a spot in France. That's kind of a wide open prairie you know, kind of a slope to the top of the hill. So you could just kind of imagine a little hill coming down and the Germans were at the top of it and they dug in all around with machine guns, uh, MG8 machine guns and had, you know, artillery that was firing because we were coming from one side of the hill and they were firing from the back side of the hill. And they had been there for four years. So they had everything set up to basically stomp anybody that came that way. Mm-hmm. Well, if you know anything about World War One, towards the end of the war, the Germans were running out of everything, you know, uh, besides ammunition, basically for machine guns. Uh, but they were running out of food. Morale was on the dip. I mean, everything. The war was pretty much over at that point, but we were still pushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they retreated and we claim victory kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, it's hard to speak kind of ill about it because of you feel like you're you kind of trompsing on your brothers a little bit, but that, that's the bottom line is um, sure. We could chalk it up as a victory when it comes down to it, because we took over the position, yeah. but they left, you know what I mean? And we did capture 2000 German soldiers. We captured, you know, a couple of uh, pieces of artillery, a little over 300 machine guns. So in the end, you know, we did overtake their position before they completely got out, but they had been retreating for quite some time. Wow. Um, but, you know, you had mentioned how it was the first modern war, uh, which is true, but you had guys in these general and leadership positions who had fought in wars previous to that. So they were using tactics from like Napoleon tactics Mm-hmm. So you would line up to shoot and then the uh, opposing it is just mowing you down with machine guns. Yeah. And what boggles the mind is it's like, all right, we've got machine guns and artillery. Well, let's dig trenches and live in those for a while. That it just, <laughs> that makes no sense to me at all, especially with gas because gas was a part of world war one, which is mm-hmm. horrible. Uh, now we we've all decided it's like, you know, look, we'll keep fighting wars as crappy as those are and as horrible as those are. But we're not going to use gas. We're going to make some rules to this war. Yeah. <laughs> and we decided gas was too bad. And those guys had to go through it. Yeah. Which when when, when something is bad enough that everyone just agrees, hey, we're not going to kill each other with this anymore because it's so bad. That says an awful lot. It, it sure does. And, you know, something I didn't know about that mustard gas um, is that if you have wet clothing or your skin is wet, uh, it bonds to that wetness. So, um, like, if you've sweat through your clothes and you've got, like, in your armpits or, you know, you, know, you talk about crotch rotch now, <laughs> you get a little sweat and that that uh, gas would bind to it and create that irritation. Uh, 
irritation is such a light word, you know, yeah. it would de- debilitate you, you know, yeah. well, even if it was a skin contact. Living in trenches, uh, a huge problem was trench foot because you, you're, you're in water. Well, yeah. if you're lucky, it was just water twenty four seven. And so yeah. I could, uh, I could see how that could uh, really affect your legs and your feet. No, you there's a, to- uh, a great documentary I watched about hygiene of World War I, um, because I've just dove into every aspect of this I've good. Uh, and th- there was no hygiene. There, you know what I mean? It's World War One, so it's not like soap was a priority anyways. But where did you go to the bathroom in a trench? Because if your head popped up above the parapet, as they called it, mm-hmm. lights out. You know, you were they were going to light you up with MG8 machine guns or a sniper would pop you. One or oh, the you can not just be like, time yeah, out, guys. Time out. I got to take a bathroom break. A wee-wee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really got to take a number two here. Yeah. <laughs> But they would essentially go downhill and dig a latrine even deeper in the trench and use it. And it's just more, more, more cats were killed from disease, you know, uh, dysentery and all that you know, trench foot, all that kind of stuff either killed or wounded more men than any of the implements of death that we created. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just couldn't imagine. And, you know, we modern battlefield again. Artillery was brand new and it was like a kid with a brand new toy. He couldn't stop shooting it. He couldn't stop playing with it. So I think uh, I read it some place. It was between three and 5 million artillery shells were shot at the battle of Blancmont. Wow. So you're talking Mm -hmm. about a two, it was a two week battle over a two week period. I don't even know how many seconds there are in a two week period, Mm -hmm. But it's going to be, you're, you're basically on average going to have one going off about every, you know, two or three seconds. If not, you know what I mean? It's nonstop. Yeah. And Man. I can't imagine what that would do to the old cabeza, you know, if nonstop machine gun fire and, and artillery fire yeah. and gas coming in from time to time. And then when you're like, okay, I'll just hunker down in this trench. Every once in a while, the German airplanes would swoop around and fire machine guns into the trenches. Mm-hmm. Ain't, ain't nowhere you're gonna go then you know because no. if you hop out of the trench to get out of the way you get lit up that way um it's just absolutely mind-boggling i mean you know there is no good war and no. I, I don't want to discount any 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 veteran of any war or anything but that those guys man they went through some well the the worst and the the most brutal and bloodiest battles are always the ones that are waged uphill Historically, yeah. if you look at any, at any war, if you're fighting uphill, either 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 you're going to lose or it's going to be kind of like this victory where it's going to you're going to have heavy losses. Lose a lot of men in the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, one of the coolest things I say coolest, one of the neatest things about this in particular time in the war and the 36th Division, which they were in, which is a pride of Texas, the 36th Division. Um, is that as soon as they came off the battlefield during this time, they had them write what they were feeling, what they felt like they went through and their thoughts, just anything they had to write down. The army did it as an experiment for, you know, it was about three or four months, which was they deemed an utter failure. But you have 20 to 30,000 handwritten notes in the National Archives that you can go read online 
And a lot of them are from that battle, in particular, the Battle of Blancmont. I think it was one of the last ones they had them write um, notes about. Wow. And some of them are absolutely profound. And some of them are what you would think, you know, like, I can't believe you're making me write this bleepity bleep bleep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. It's, it humanizes the whole thing really well. Yeah. Uh, so I read, ah, man, I went down that rabbit hole for two or three months uh, and read maybe 500 of them which is yeah. a drop in the buck. Cause I think there's close to 30,000 of them on there. Wow. That's, that's a lot. Speaking yeah. of, speaking of letters and things like that, I recently found out and I, I've, <sighs> I've been to the museum in the grant lodge, the one downstairs mm-hmm. countless times, like every time there's grand lodge between yeah. sessions or something, I'll go check it out. That letter that you read is down there. Have you seen it down there yet? Because yeah, I haven't been uh, to see Sam it. Gibbons showed it, showed me where it was. Yeah, I've, I've walked this countless times <laughs> and have never seen it. Yeah. So if anyone, well, if anyone wants to actually read the letter, go to Grand Lodge and look, go downstairs, and uh, it's down there in the World War One section. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it had just been lost for a while because it mentioned in y'all's minutes when I came down and scanned and I looked through those that they had read it at the 50th anniversary, which for you guys would have been in the like twenties or something like that. Maybe thirties uh, or something. It wouldn't have been too long after world war one. Uh, they made a big deal. Of course, when they got the letter shortly after they mailed it to grand lodge and every lodge in the district, this is what it says in, in y'all's minutes. Um, and then it just kind of seemed to go away, which I assume it was put in grand lodge ever since that time. I don't know. We need to look into that because that could have been a resurgence of it. Yeah. You know, when, when was it put in that Grand Lodge, uh, you know, uh, to help, you know, preserve it? Because that was the reason I put it in the uh, last year when I was had the honor of being Grand Orator. I put it in the Grand Oration because that goes into the Grand Lodge proceedings. And, mm-hmm. you know, not many people read those kind of things, but you know, every once in a while, there's a nerd like me. I, you know, <laughs> I, I read probably close to seventy grand orations just to prepare myself for that position. You know, yeah. kind of what I was getting into, and man, I'm hooked. You know, it's well, that, it's, it's good leisure reading. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the reasons that it's my turn. Okay, I'll, it I'll promote it. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he'll edit it here in just a little while. So <laughs> I will cut it out anyway. Say whatever you want, Dennis. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it really makes sense, though, that after it was read originally in the 20s or, or what have you, and, and then it just kind of went away, you know, it, it, it goes along with the whole uh, generation. It was a silent generation, and that's, that's why. Because yeah. they, they went through these hardships that, that we'll never understand. Yeah. And, and so it was hard enough for them to process it themselves, much less hear it again. So I think you came in right at the proper time, right as, right as the, the tides of change are, are occurring and, and you're able to honor the few that are still with us with that and and really um honor that generation in what you're doing you know it's to to me it's not so much just about freemasonry and and about the letter itself 
But to me, you're honoring a full generation in what you're doing because they went through um, some some horrors, not only at, at war, but also at home that, you know, nobody would today. You couldn't even fathom. You and I talk about living in the sticks. But, you know, my yeah. grandfather, he lived in a tent, you know, in the Great Depression. Oh, yeah, because yeah, they were in, right in on the hills Cliff, of that. Yeah, Oak Cliff, that was that was tent village. That's that's yeah. what Oak Cliff originally was, was a tent village and it and it turned into an actual city. So these people went through all that, they went through the wars, they went through so you know what you're doing is is bringing such a great honor to the um to the let me word this properly so I don't dishonor. So you brought such honor to the the um, the resolve that that these brothers carried with them each and every day, just getting up and and living another day to its fullest. Mm. You know, bringing us the the um, the joys and and the the love of Freemasonry that you know, could have easily been lost through all the hardships that they experienced. Oh yeah. Could have you know, easily it, been extinguished. Yeah. But, yes, yeah I, but they, but they carried it on and that's, it, that's just magnificent. Yeah. Magnificent. And it, it's, it is a testament to how nothing uh, brings us together. Like a good s- story about sacrifices of our veterans. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, yes. it, I don't oh, care my what, goodness. what generation you're from. Um, a sacrifice of event it's just like you put they put themselves in front of so much and then it's all over and the battle dust is settling you know what i mean and the adrenaline's going away and you got to make sense of all this stuff uh and here was freemasonry for these guys and and and, you know i went to a lodge that was just right across from um oh uh, what's the fort there good lord fort davis (laughs) uh is that right Fort Hood. What am I talking about? Fort Davis. Uh, Fort, Hood. Col- Col- yes, Fort Hood. Is Fort Hood. I was right across from there and I presented it to, and I had quite a few veterans come up after who were Masons when they served over in Afghanistan. And they talked about how they would work on the memory work over there to kind of escape. And it, so it's a yeah, timeless. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's timeless. And it was, that's yes. when I realized kind of what he was doing in the moments of writing that letter, you know, cause that dawned on me. It's like, yeah, you don't write that kind of letter to your mother. Mm. You know, you write that right. to your brothers who can actually, you know, uh, take that kind of, cause that's an emotional atomic bomb. You know what I mean? There's so yeah. much to yeah. it Yeah, from the Bible that he talks about. I mean, it, it, you know, when he talks about that little bitty Bible on that, you know, shelter on hillside, mm-hmm. we can all relate to that. You know what I mean? Because uh, what a beacon of hope that would have been in that those moments. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my God, you've got a Bible. Could you, you imagine the elation? Because they knew they didn't have any working tools or aprons. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, James has got a Bible. That's <laughs> all you need, really. It was an important thing. Absolutely. You know, certain number of brethren. Yeah. You, you, you got to whoop. I really wanted to touch on, and you mentioned something about how this was read at the lodge when it was when it was originally meld and then mm-hmm. share with the district and it just kind of went away for a while. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge reason I wanted you to come present that on the show because yeah. it, it immortalizes it. 
it will, it will always be yes. on YouTube now for, yeah. pe- for people to see at any time. Yeah. No, and it needs to, it needs to spread out there because, you know, all of our veterans need that kind of honor, but this in particular for our fraternity, because I don't think I've ever heard a best, better testimony for our fraternity than that letter. You know, it's done a lot of good things for a lot of good men throughout the world. Um, but few have articulated as well as Leon Culberson did in that letter. Cause right. I mean, it, it gave him hope in those moments of just utter darkness. I mean, that's as dark as man has gotten. I yeah. mean, we, we gassed each other for God's sakes. You know, it was just absolutely horrible. We scraped the bottom of the war barrel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he turned to Freemasonry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and of course his religion as well, but Freemasonry played a big role in, 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 uh, you know, helping him make sense of that, those moments. And, and aside from, aside <laughs> from you presenting it in Hillsboro, um, traveling, I had the opportunity. It was a pleasure to travel with you and, uh, um, Mark Myers, Mark Myers. Yeah. He Mark went Myers. With us. Yeah and, yeah, and Robert Marshall. Yeah, I, I mean, talk about shenanigans for one. Like <laughs> shenanigans that, ensued, but that's but when that's when it. the goat followed us. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Robert Marshall's goat followed us out. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but hearing hearing that presented at uh, Ogden's Lodge. Yeah, was, that was, was also. Powerful. I mean, yeah, I mean it was. Mm. That was a that was a. One of my one of my top Masonic travels, hands down. Yeah, hands down. You know that's the whole thing about this letter for me is that um, I had just been installed as Grand Order. I'd maybe been Grand Order for thirty days or so, and Sam Gibbons texted me pictures of the paper that he had of the letter that you guys gave him copies of about five years ago, and he had wanted to take it to Anchor Lodge after you gave it to him, but the pandemic hit, he said, Hey, I'm going to go to anchor lodge this year and give him a copy of this letter that Hillsborough gave me. He said, read it. You won't believe it. Check out that part about the modern battlefield. And I was like, Oh, here we go. You know, and <laughs> I'm, I start reading it, this text picture of a, a thing that he sent me. And I immediately texted him back. I was like, I'm going with you. I'm going to read it. I'm going to present it. You know, <laughs> I didn't feel like it was a coincidence that I was made grand order because in, in my mind, I was already reading it like a speech because that's the way it reads. It's just so emotionally packed. And first night I read it to my lodge, you know, I look up and there's a few veterans in our lodge and a couple other guys that are just crying like babies, you know, and I knew what I had there was extremely powerful and needed to be shared. So um, not being one that, you know, as, as a big fan of coincidences, I believe there was purpose behind that. So I, I call, I started calling lodges. I was like, Hey, I'm your grand order this year. You mind if I come do a presentation? And they're like, of course, we'd love to have you <laughs> <laughs> where I'm sure I could have talked my way in otherwise, but it was so much easier having that caller to just say, you know, I, I I'm a grand lodge officer. Let me come present. And it never, ever disappointed. And mm-hmm. after about the, you know, 10th Lodge or so, it took on a life of its own, you know, to where it's, I started getting requests. Yeah, to, uh, I could, come I could see why. Gosh, dude. And like I said. Yeah, I, I definitely want to have you down to, to our area to do that as well. That would, that would be a, a real nice district-wide 
um, get together and man, I presented it to as small as four people, four guys at a lodge to as many. We were at the Austin Scottish ride. I think there was 40 guys there. The size of the audience does not matter to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I I've I've even come accustomed to preferring the smaller audiences because we end up having a great time after the meet chatting about it, you know, and it's a much more intimate setting. Uh, But I will, I've been to El Paso. So, you know, I've been to, you know, deep East Texas, far behind the pine curtain. I've taken it all <laughs> over the state. Uh, <laughs> pine curtain. I've never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've gone up north all over. And so, you know, um, I usually do a turnaround trip. Five hours is my my breaking point. Any farther after that, I may need a little help with a place to stay, but I'll come present anywhere. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So have you not heard we'll it before tonight, Dennis? No, I haven't. That was my first time. I'll say. And, and, you know, I, I grew up watching MASH and, and all those old, you know, <laughs> shows. And, and you, you come to, you come to, to really cherish the, the men that sacrificed so much. And, and though that was comedy, there was a lot of, a lot of truth, love and hurt involved as well. And, and, and so I really came to it, it's sad to say I got it from from a TV show, but I, I came to really appreciate that generation through uh, through those kind of, of shows and then documentaries, yeah. of course. I'm, I'm a documentary nerd. I, yeah, I will sit there and binge watch the documentaries all weekend long and, and you know, just take notes on stuff that I want that I want to share later. Well, well, but um, brother, brother Culberson in, in, in this scenario alone deserves his own documentary. I mean, you could probably, probably die for hours oh, into everything absolutely. that happened. That battle itself. Um, Ira Ogden, uh, the brother who was killed in action, uh, his dad was a famous lawyer, uh, like a connected lawyer. And a few months after Robert Marshall sent me a picture because he was rewiring or something, a church down in San Antonio. I don't, I'm not sure. Of course he does the history on it because it's really old. Mm -hmm. And the cornerstone was laid by Ira Ogden's father and president Howard Taft. Wow. So I mean, this guy was no lightweight. Uh, It's just phenomenal. It's like, it's like all this stuff just keeps coming to you. Just dude. It's it's just on its own. Culberson's uncle was governor of Texas. Uh, and a very, very famous senator, uh, very, very influential politician in Texas. Mm-hmm. Culberson County out in West Texas is named after Charles Culberson, who was uh, Leon's great uncle or uncle, I believe. But when he was in the army, it was known he had a very influential uncle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to say he's given preferential treatment, but he was given preferential treatment. Yeah. I mean, because he came out of the army. Well, we need to Cohen. do what we need to do is try and raise some some funds and and get a documentary made. You can uh, you can host that documentary. Be and legit, on, man. Be legit. On Discovery Channel or something. Yeah. Well, you had to I'm, travel on site. I'll invest True. in that. <laughs> I, I would go. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. But this this guy, yeah. uh, I want to show you guys this. I don't know if you can see Ira Ogden right here. Yeah. Uh, on the cover of this honor roll book for the 36th division, uh, which is written by Scott Schooner, which I, I got in contact with him because he posted, I follow him on Facebook and he posted, Hey, I'm about to publish my, you know, he's done so many books. You guys need to go check it out. Cause if you want to know anything about world war one, this is the guy 
with the books to, to check out. Um, and I was like, Hey, that's Ira Ogden on the cover of your book. Right. Cause I haven't been able to really find a picture. I had to contact the elementary school. It's named after him. Wow. And, and the lady at the desk said, she loved the story. Cause I gave her the whole, the receptionist, the whole story. And she uh-huh. said, send me your cell phone number, sweetie. And I'll send you a picture of the picture we have in the hall. So that's the only one I had. Well, then Scott, I contacted Scott and I said, man, is there any way you do you have a digital copy of that p- picture? Here's what I've got. And he immediately sent me a digital photo, which is full body. It's, you know, very cool, wow. very high resolution. Great. And he said, do you mind if I put that letter in this book I'm about to publish? I was like, please do. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. It's in that that letter is actually in that book with a little tribute to Culberson and Ira himself, because Scott's from uh, San Antonio. So he's familiar with Ira's story and everything. And uh, his next book or some book in the future, he's going to talk about um, how the soldiers did perform death rites over there. And part of that's going to be the Masonic death rite. So there may be more of that story to come in his books, but it's just another way. I felt that the letter has been, you know, solidified in history because it deserves it. Something interesting that, that I I learned pretty recently, not completely related to any of this, but still related. Uh, And a lot of wars you see, uh, well, maybe not necessarily now, but historically you see a a pretty large increase in in the membership during a lot of wars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Say for example, like the civil war. And the reason that this happened is that these people sought membership because if they died on the so battlefield, yeah, so they would actually, they knew they would get buried instead of just being left in the field to, to rot and die. Oh, that's a good point. Yes. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about yes. that. And that was a, apparently a, like a, like a huge concern. Um, like a, almost like a, like a fear. Like if you're, if you're, if you're it's, dead, that was especially body, prominent in, in civil war. Yeah. Yeah, if, you, if your if your body's left there to the elements and, for yeah. for animals or whatever to to tear apart and things like that, like your like your soul wouldn't get rest or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the vultures of the air they, they eat you up. You don't exactly exactly yeah. Hmm. And so I didn't was, think about that. That's a good point because you know it, it, further down the line in masonry, everybody joined for the fine. I don't want to say financial stability if they fell on hard times, but that's why you joined because right. there was no. Yep government subsidies out there. Uh, And I talk about that with guys at my lodge all the time, that if we want to start talking about solutions for Freemasonry, we got to start looking for that void that Freemasonry fills because it's done that all throughout history over time. Mm -hmm. And that's just an example of how it did it. Men joined. Well, and, and and so they didn't get eaten by vultures. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I'll, I'll build on that right now. It seems like uh, we have a lot more, members that are they're wanting to uncover the truth in in uh in history we're we're surrounded we're surrounded by this thing called the the interweb right mm-hmm. and and so we get all this this information thrown at us you know back and forth and and we don't know what what's truth and what's not what's real and what's not and and now Freemasonry, I think, is taking on a bit of a a uh, a role in filling that void in in um, having something to attach to that's real. You know, you're you're meaningful attaching, interaction. Yeah, 
Yes, exactly. meaningful yeah. interaction with 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 education. You know, yeah. meaningful interaction with education. I, I I can see it in in all the. You know, people are always talking about you know let's not raise the dues, and and I'm not going to make this a thing. They're talking about don't raise the dues and this and that and blah 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 blah. You know, we can't afford it, blah blah blah. But look yeah. at the festive boards. Look at how successful our festive boards are mm -hmm. because we want to go and we want to have a, a meaningful experience with other like-minded individuals and learn something at the same time. We want to hear a great presentation. We want to be moved. We want to be touched, you know, yeah. because that's something we're not getting online and through social media. And so I think that that's very quite possibly what you know, because you're seeing it now, especially after the pandemic, you know, yeah. we've got so many people coming back to lodge. I sat with yeah. a brother that hadn't been to lodge in 15 years, and now he's decided to come back after the pandemic. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I think we, we, we do have a role and, and we need to embrace it and, and try to um, nurture it and make it, no. you know, and make you, it the best yeah. experience we can. You know, and you, you, as a lodge, you just got to dig in and figure out what what your niche is. Because I've after traveling yeah. the state this year, I, I told the guys on the last podcast we did on ours uh, that it was just such an eye opening uh, walkabout, if you will, uh, or circumambulation yes. of Texas uh, mm -hmm. to visit all of these different lodges. I mean, I'm talking very small towns to the biggest they get, uh, and right. seeing the success that they're having. And the feelings that they're getting out of it. And it's, yeah. uh, it, it crosses the myriad from guys that are doing some of the best education in the state to some of the most hands-on charitable work you, you can be yes. a part of. Uh, and, and, and some of the best fellowship. Yeah. Some, guys, their some guys do it up. Yeah. Some guys do it up like nobody else. And, yeah. and it's, it's something to be thought about. Did you say you, you drove about 13,000 miles? Uh, and counting. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm over 13 now. Well, I mean, I mean it, that thirteen thousand you drove about half the circumference of the Earth at that point. So, <laughs> awesome. is, is the the Earth is the circumference is twenty four thousand and some change. Hmm. So, so, my goal. so you got a goal. You got to drive all the way around the That's world. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. God, I leave it to Justin there. to put you to work, dude. I, I, I just going through my mind thinking about all the stuff that we because my wife and I went out to El Paso together and made a weekend out of it. And watch the sunset. I mean, sunrise off the Franklin Mountains, uh, and the guys out there just roll oh, out the yeah. red carpet because they're they're on an island in El Paso. I mean, you 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 yeah. realize, oh, that's way out there. But until you drive it, because we didn't fly, and then I'd, <laughs> I'd do it again. I love that drive. The the Grand Lodge of New Mexico is closer than the Grand Lodge of Texas. Oh my God, dude! The Grand Lodge and and the Grand Lodge of of, of Mexico, they have a great relationship yeah. with them. <laughs> uh, and I've even right. read through the proceedings where the grand master came back in the late 1800s is like those guys out in El Paso do great work, but it ain't Texas work. <laughs> <laughs> well, understandably. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're on an Island out there. Uh, so it was, it was so much fun going out there. I mean, cause I, I felt, I felt very special. I was talking to one brother sure. during grand lodge and he was from El Paso and he mentioned that he had spent several thousand dollars to come to Waco. Yeah. Booking and plane flight. Getting a hotel room, and uh, I mean, yeah, you're talking about an island, dude. I mean, and that's don't get me started on that cost to come vote at your grand lodge. That's a that's a real issue yeah. for me. Yeah, 
because yeah. we we don't get the true voice across the state because i mean everybody said well it only costs 25 dollars to go to grand lodge i'm like if you live in waco it does yeah you know we are very <laughs> fortunate yeah even even dennis can can drive to grand lodge at a if reasonable had, amount yeah. of time yeah i mean el paso yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. yeah four hours is very reasonable <laughs> that's for me that's a reasonable road trip absolutely yeah, yeah. No, oh, that, you. no that's yeah. that's fine i yeah. i drive i'll i'll go anyways i'm just that guy you know i yeah. i'll make no, the trip and and so many we'll of us are so blessed yeah that we have the ability the time and the finances and all the yes. things that we need to yes. go yes. uh but when we have a group of 70 plus thousand members that's that we're, unfortunately we are the minority you know, that's why right, only right. Uh, less than 1% of our membership shows up to vote at Grand Lodge. Yeah. So, well, Rit, no, I know oh, the can of worms. We'll do next episode. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> Justin, no. No, Justin, no. You're not going to tell us goodbye. <laughs> not yet. Before, before we go, before we go, I, I, I do want to say that I'm excited about officer leadership training this year these these two guys i'll be traveling around with these two cool cats and mm-hmm. and we're Sounds gonna have fun. a lot of time to just sit and and mill through this stuff man what i can't wait to sit there with a glass of scotch and and, and at on saturday night and, and just dude hash it, through it and argue with Gibbons well, all night. officer <laughs> leadership training fort worth unless i'm mistaken baby we'll be off the chain because you're gonna have Masonic Con and then mm-hmm. officer leadership training. Oh, all in the same building. All in the same building. And if you Lit. go to both, you get to hear me twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, true? here we go. <laughs> here we go. I can't wait. Yeah, the key word for OLT I, this year is shenanigans. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's going to be cool in every OLT as well. I mean, we've got the we were going to have the festive board in Houston again. And that was mm-hmm. a blast last year. If you didn't get to go, man, <laughs> those guys know how to party. That, yeah. <laughs> and we do it in the shrine building. So we're allowed to party. So okay. that, that was uh, that was a great time. No partying in lunch. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then and, and and Cody's then, such uh, a great leader. I, I'm so excited to be under his, his leadership and tutelage. Yeah, he, he's he's a, he's a very organized guy. Like Jeez. he is put together. Yeah, better have your stuff together. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I know it. I I need I, love I need a Cody in my life. That's I do I too. You have life. a Cody in your life, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Not enough. Don't get jealous. <laughs> There's not enough Codys for my life. That's for sure. Everybody knows that. Same way. All right, brothers. Well, this, as, as always, anytime we talk to Rit, this could always be a two or three hour conversation. Um, yes. Rit, do you have any, do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up? Man, I, for me, look through your dang minutes because this was in y'all's minutes that, that somebody rediscovered. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it had been lost for a few decades anyways, uh, because when Sam visited, it had been something they'd rediscovered. Uh, I think about, you know, they up in Kansas, they rediscovered some stuff that, uh, uh I think it was one of the brothers. It was really old from the Renaissance time, uh, uh, you know, uh, they found in the minutes, there's no telling what you're going to find in there. Yeah. Go through that sucker page by page. And if you're really giddy, get you a scanner and start, you know, scanning those things for time and memorial. Oh, yeah. Uh, needs to be done. But look yeah. through your minutes, see what's there and, and take care of those records. 
Yeah. Cause they're, they're, they're deteriorating. Well, that's everything. Thanks everybody again for, unless Dennis had something he wanted to say, you know, I do <laughs> all your brothers out there. Um, you know, I know you've enjoyed RIT tonight and I know that you enjoy all of our programs. We have a lot of cool guests and, and we're always fortunate to, to be entertained and educated at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, but my message going away as it always is, is, is if you live in El Paso or you live in that outlying area where you just don't feel like you're, you're getting what you're looking for, uh, let us know because we will definitely get you in touch with the people that'll help you get what you're looking for. Yes. Uh, we love this fraternity. Uh, we, we love all the, all the different varieties of members that we have. We, we, we have such great fellowship, great charitable, you know, functions. We have, you know, great education and great history guys. So if you're, if you're looking for it and you're not getting it, reach out to us because we're happy to, to help you find that. That's, that's our goal in, in, in this program. And we hope you enjoyed the show. And I am certainly grateful for Rick coming on again. This is, you know, he's going to have to end up being a regular to some degree. You know, we're going to have to have him on. There's plenty to talk about. Yeah, we'll have to do a live show at LT or something and just sit there with a, a glass of scotch and, and yeah, it, yeah have, have some fun around the pool or something, you know, just cutting up. I want to. But uh, thank you all. Yes. I want to piggyback off what you said. Uh, just in closing, you, you, you said that every, every lodge has history and going back to also what Ritt said, go through your minutes. Every lodge has a Culberson. Yes. I have no doubt. I have some, no some doubt. Sort yes. or nothing. Yeah, some yeah. sort of, of, of person you read about them and they're, they're larger than life. Yeah. I mean, even if you don't have a three digit number, there's still some cool history in your, in your lodge somewhere. Uh, but you know, especially those older ones that have records that are hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. Do something to take and we need to be writing it down. We need to be writing it down and, and sharing it. That that needs to go in TLR, man. You're yeah. the letter that needs to go in TLR. Yeah, so the, the, may or may not yeah. be. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> One thing at a time. It's. it's I know you're not supposed. You're not supposed to publish stuff. I know that, but you know, in this case, it needs to be submitted just yeah. to be submitted. No, I'm, I'm definitely thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. For well, brothers, sure. thank you both again for for giving your time this evening. Uh, Rit, appreciate you coming back on the show. Sure. Um, I I anticipate probably sometime in the future we'll we'll have a reason for you to come back. Oh um, yeah, it's always sure. a great conversation with you. I've really wanted to have this letter shared for ever since I heard it the first time, yeah. and I'm ecstatic that this is going to be me too. This is going to be out there for yeah. The, the foreseeable future, as long as as long as YouTube and the podcast uh, exist, it'll be out there for people to listen to. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed real, it. Man. Real quick, real, real quick on your uh, on Fort Worth one forty eight Fort mm-hmm. Worth the Fort Worth Masonic Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so which which one are you going to do? I I do blue. I'm focused on Blue Lodge stuff. 
So okay. just just the, okay. the kind Very of the, cool. the waiting pool end of the Blue Lodge stuff. You know, I'll talk about like guarding the West Gate, all that kind of leadership mm-hmm. stuff, you know, where oh, yeah, yeah. will do more of the deep end of the pool stuff. Uh, and then uh, the other guys will do military and one guy's uh, another set of the hosts will do um, like after lodge kind of stuff, labor to refreshment. I'm excited. Very cool. Well, you you inspired us to, to do this. And so I just wanted to make sure hey, that more than people know people know that you're going to be, you know, doing the same thing as well and, and getting yeah. back after it. You know, people miss you. We yeah. missed you. I'm looking forward to it. And, and I know we keep, we keep wrapping this up. We have a minute, so I'll be, <laughs> I'll be very quick, but I, I have seen other brothers that are, they're trying to put together the podcast and uh, they, they look right now at the pool and there's, there's, there's lots of kids in the pool. There's lots of podcasts out there. Uh, holler at us. Yeah. I would say they're, there's no competition among any of us. Mm-mm, Each of us talk about. We all have our own niche. Mm-hmm. We all we all dress things differently, and so if anyone is looking I out there, everybody, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone's looking out there to create something, do it, man. It brings more value to the fraternity. Yep. That said, Absolutely. thank you again, everybody, for listening.